Again, we're going to start this morning in Proverbs 22. As we um, continue looking through Proverbs, um, throughout the ages of the church, uh, the idea of money has been something that some people either have in the church shied away from, a subject that's become taboo, or focused on to such an extreme that 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 kind of became the litmus test for your spirituality. Um, that, that money was, was something that was talked about every week or never at all. Uh, the problem with that, obviously, is that uh, anytime we get something out of balance, uh, we can do damage, of course. Um, especially if, if I have a conviction and, then, and that becomes the basis of judgment for you. God has, has convicted me about maybe how I, I'm to handle my money and, and then I lay that upon you and say, thus saith Michael or thus saith whoever. And the church has, has fallen into that trap in both directions. Into that trap of, of poverty is somehow holy and righteous. Um, back in the 6th century, Benedict said as he gathered with some other people, that, that individuals shouldn't own any property. It should be the, we all have communal issues. And then over time, uh, monks began taking a vow of poverty to uh, people who preach and say that if you are poor, obviously there's something wrong with you. And that if you're not wealthy and rich and have lots of stuff, uh, clearly you're not spiritual. And and somehow we seem to just kind of swing back and forth between those two poles and have a hard time landing in, a, in, a, in the appropriate place. So this morning I want to, want to back up and over the next couple of weeks and maybe three, just talk about money and talk about wealth um, a little bit and, and try to see if we can gain some wisdom. And then take that wisdom as we've talked about and look at our own lives and say, is there something that's out of whack? Is there something, is there some way that I'm not handling my wealth correctly or am I missing some danger? Because there are dangers with money. As with anything that we handle every day, that we have to deal with every day, anything that we come in contact with every day, there's potential for danger. But there's also potential for good. And so over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the dangers of wealth and also the benefits of wealth. The dangers of money and the benefits of money. <clears throat> but we begin by laying a foundation. So in Proverbs 22, 2, we read these words. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. When he says they have a, a common bond, literally they, it says they meet together there's something, there's something about rich people and poor people that's the same for them. Whether you have a little or a lot, whether you have a job that makes six figures or you're unemployed, whether you've got lots of money saved up in the bank or you're living from paycheck to paycheck and you're wondering where the next dollar is going to come from, both of those extremes have something in common. In one sense, you're on the same level in one aspect. 
It's that God created you. See, there's something that's more fundamental than money about who you are. And if we forget that, then what will happen is we'll fall into one of those two traps of money is a a sign of spirituality or the lack of money is a sign of spirituality. I really believe that money is is inherently who I am and, and what I am. I'll fall into the trap of of giving it way too much value. And God says, really, for the rich and the poor, what's, what's a more fundamental level of who you are is that God made you. God created you. And so in one sense, no matter what our wealth looks like, what our possessions look like, there's a level playing field in life and that we're all created by God. But we have to deal with it. Because I said in our culture, we deal with it every day. Jesus talked about it. The New Testament writers talk about it over and over again. It's not a subject that should be taboo. And so we want to talk about it. And so, over the next two weeks, look at the benefits. We'll look at some of the dangers. This morning, specifically, what can wealth do? I'm sorry, what can wealth not do and what does wealth try to do? First, what wealth can't do, and then we'll look at what wealth tries to do. You ever had a kid who has written on the wall and then realized, ooh, I shouldn't have written on the wall? And then instead of erasing it, they find something else and they just mark over it, right? Uh, I've hidden it, right? Now they can't see that I've written on the wall because we've just taken a bigger marker or a darker marker and we've covered it up, right? Sometimes we use wealth that way. We use it to cover up something else that we know is, is out of whack. Um, so let's back up. We're going to skip around as we always do in Proverbs, as we always have done. So back up to chapter 11. Um, and we're going to look at, at several things that, that wealth can't do. It can't hide. Wealth can't cover up. Wealth can't hide. Wealth can't obliterate. Can't mark out. There are things that sometimes we try to get it to do, but it just it's not made for that. In verse 4 we read, Riches do not profit in the days in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. See, there is a day of wrath coming. There's a day of judgment coming. And at, th- at that time, riches or wealth or money is not really going to be figured in. The issue, as he says in the second half of that verse, is righteousness is what saves us from death. In other words, if we've lived an unrighteous life, wealth is not going to somehow cover that up. It's not going to make up for that. On that day of wrath, there will be no bartering. There will be no buying. Girls and I are reading a story called On the Edge of the Dark Sea of Darkness. And the Igaby children were arrested and thrown in jail uh, and faced either exile or severe punishment. And then all of a sudden, the cell opens up and, and they're let go. What they come to learn is that their mom had, had saved up, unbeknownst to them, a lot of gold from somewhere, part of the mystery of the story we hadn't got to yet, and basically she bought their freedom, paid off the, the chief jailer. That's nice, but that won't work in the day of wrath. We're not going to be able to come in into the throne room and say, well, God, I know I've lived a lousy life, but I've got a big bank account. 
Maybe I'll, I'll give to missions, God. Well, at that point, it'll be too late. The problem is, do we try that now? Do we try that today? Do I try to buy my way out of my behavior? Maybe I'm generous. Maybe I've, I've got money and I'm very giving in hopes that that will cover up a poorly lived life. And Solomon writes, righteousness is what delivers from death. Chapter 15, in verses 16 and 17, we read these words. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables with love than a fattened ox served with hatred. So there's these, these two ideas that, that he says money can't take can't get rid of, can't cover up. One's an internal turmoil and one's an external turmoil. That word turmoil really means an anxiety or a dread over something that we know is coming. Something that we know we can't stop. And money can't ease that inner turmoil that happens. The bank account can't save us from when I know something bad is on its way. You get this inner anxiety and fear and dread. Think about the, the flooding in Colorado. There are some people who were wealthy enough to replace whatever was washed away. And yet you listen to interviews and you read stories. Even those people who knew, well, I, I can replace all this. I, some of them even actually had flood insurance. Not a lot did. It wasn't, but they still, this, the anxiety of, I, I can't believe this is happening. I'm being displaced. I fear what our lives are going to look like. Money can't solve that problem. Yeah, we might can replace a few things, but when dread is coming, when, when something we know we can't avoid, pain, disease, death, fear, money can't take care of that. Money can't solve that problem. And then when there's outer turmoil, when there's hatred, Right? The fattened ox can't, having lots of stuff, having good food every day, having lots of possessions, can't get rid of this outward turmoil in families of hatred and anger and temper. We can't, we can't buy our kids favor. We can't buy our neighbors favor when we're jerks half the time. It just doesn't work. Someone says, I'd rather you be poor and have the fear of the Lord. I'd rather that be your standard of how you live. I'd rather you trust in Him and be poor than worry about what's coming and have all that you need. I'd rather you be poor and not have enough to buy anything but vegetables and there be love in that house than you be able to buy anything you ever wanted and there's this outward turmoil. Money can't solve that. Money can't cover those things up. To turn over, maybe a minus the facing page, maybe one page over, chapter 16, verse 8, and then also verse 19. Solomon writes, Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. It's better to be humble in spirit, in verse 19, with the lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. See, sometimes it can look like 
we're doing really, really well. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. You see, at least certainly in Solomon's time, if, I'm, if I've got great income, if I've got money coming in, that really is a, a sign of, or it, it, at times is a sign of God's blessing, God's provision. I've got great income. I'm doing well. God's favor is upon me. And we think then that I can cover up, that will allow me to cover up injustice, treating people poorly, taking advantage of those around me. And for Solomon, at least, he says, that's not invisible. You may have lots of money coming in, but you can't hide injustice, certainly not from God. Money can't take that away. I'd rather you have a little and be righteous. I'd rather people talk about the fact that, oh, you don't have very much. God must not be blessing you. I'd rather folks get the wrong idea about you and you really be living right then people get the wrong idea about you and you're being a jerk. Same idea in verse 19. It's better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. That word spoil really is a, a neutral word. It can mean just great wealth. I'd rather... So the idea is I'm dividing all this stuff up. I'm being generous. I'm sharing. But there's pride. And all that generosity and all that sharing can't cover up, can't take away the fact that I'm just patting myself on the back and saying, look what a good person I am because I'm generous. I'd rather folks, he says, get the wrong idea about you because you don't have much and you're humble than think that you're this perfect, wonderful guy who's generous and sharing and yet pride is, is all that really is in your life. Money can't... Oh, it may be to you and I. We may be able to fool each other. But money can't take away pride. Money can't take away foolish behavior. Can't take away injustice. Certainly not in God's eyes when God's looking. But let's be careful because as these Proverbs talk about money and wealth, we need to again think about, okay, what about my life? And, and really try to seek wisdom because it's not just being rich in possessions or rich in cash in the bank. Is there something else that we're rich in that we're using to cover up our sin? Now, maybe I'm rich in status. I don't have a lot of money, but I'm well thought of. Got a good reputation and I'm using that using my sweet smile and my pleasant disposition to cover up injustice or greed or pride. Maybe you're rich in, in knowledge and, and wisdom and you use that to cover up taking advantage of people because you are smarter than they are. Maybe you're rich in a spiritual legacy in your family. You're in church every week. You know the Bible from cover to cover and you use that knowledge, that richness of the wealth of God's Word to hide the fact that you really are not following it. I can spout it, I can preach it, I can communicate it to you, and yet my life is in shambles, but you don't know that because I sound good. 
Are we rich in other ways besides just wealth that we use to cover up sin? There are some things that money can't do. But there are other things that money tries to do. That wealth tries to do. Money will try to tempt you to do things you know you shouldn't do. The second danger of money is that it's a temptation to us to live ways outside of God's plan. Turn back over to Proverbs 22. And in verse 16, we read these words. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich, the idea to make more for himself, will only come to poverty. You see, money will tempt us because it makes us think I need more of it. It will tempt us to, if we get enough, to oppress someone who has less so that I can have more. Or it will tempt me to try to court or buy the favor of someone who's got a lot so that I can get in the right crowd, so that I can make more, I can make the right connections. You see, what money does is it tempts us to take that level playing field that the rich and the poor are all made by God and begin to break that playing field apart. To treat some people worse than others. It makes us think, I need it. And so therefore, I've got to treat people differently because some people can help me get it and some people can't. Or the way that I treat them, they can help me get it. If I can oppress someone and force them to work for me or do something for me and treat them less than human, that's good for me. Or if I can court your favor with a little money because you've got some and I give you some and I share and, and because of your position or your status or your wealth, I can get in the right circle and I can make more. There's a temptation to break that level playing field apart. It's a danger of money. We need to be aware of that. Am I looking at people the same or am I looking at them as a way to gain something from them? It was back up one chapter to chapter 21, verses 5. Six. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. The acquisition of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor. It's the pursuit of death. Money will, will, will tempt us to say, I've got to have it right now. And it will make us do things without thinking through them carefully. It will make us make decisions in haste instead of being diligent and getting input and getting wisdom into our lives. It's a real temptation to feel this need. I've got to have something else. And so there's an opportunity and we grab it instead of getting wisdom, instead of getting input in our lives. Just being hasty. There's also a temptation to be less than honest in our dealings. I need it. I want it. And no one will know if. Now, I don't know if there's anybody out there who actually walks into places and steals things. I don't know if that's your particular sin or not. 
But I hear all the time issues of people who fudge on their taxes, don't claim income, do things under the table. Because, well, I work hard. (laughs) I deserve it. Isn't it okay every once in a while? I mean, the government doesn't need all of that, right? That's really an irrelevant question, whether the government needs all of that. Well, of course the government doesn't need all that. I mean, we're not, we're not fools. Nonetheless, we've been asked to submit to the governing authorities, and one of the ways we do that is through paying taxes. And are we dishonest in the way we deal with our money? Because we feel like, I just can't afford to give that little bit up. Do we claim everything that comes in? Or do we just claim part of what comes in? Do we seek to take advantage of someone else or the government? Because, well, I need it. And if we do that in a little bit, we eventually will do that in a lot of ways. It's a fleeting vapor, the lying tongue, or the dishonest pen, or whatever you want to call that. And it leads to death. Because if we do it in a small way here, as we get older and things get bigger, we'll say, well, it was okay, and I'll do it bigger. And and eventually we find ourselves living a lie. And the stealing is not just a few dollars here, a few dollars there. It's lots and lots of money, and lots of people are affected by that as we've seen over and over in the last several years of of corporations and the way they treat people, that didn't just happen overnight. Well, people just didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to bilk lots of people out of millions of dollars. Those people started dishonestly a long, long time ago and just found it acceptable to, to be dishonest with money. Chapter 28. The last one we're going to look at. Verse 11. Solomon writes, The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding sees through him. See, one of the temptations of wealth and riches is we don't think we need anybody else to give us input. It leads to pride. leads to, I can do it on my own. Look, I've amassed this much wealth made it this far. I don't really need someone to give me input into other areas of my life. We become wise in our own eyes. We we have this wealth and we say, "I, I can do it on my own. And we're blind to what even the poor man can see. But the poor who has understanding sees through him. Right? People can look at your life and go, that's a foolish decision to make. Why did you do that? Well, I thought it was the right thing to do. I've made it this far. I've accumulated this much wealth. I've done okay so far. I I must be able to make good decisions. And so the challenge for us is, do we have people giving input into our lives to help us from the temptations of wealth? And that's not to say that wealth is is bad. It doesn't say that at all. But there are dangers that come with wealth. Just like there are dangers that come with getting married. There are dangers that come with walking out that door. 
wealth in and of itself is neutral. But wait a minute. Jesus said it's impossible for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God if it's up to man. Yeah, but if you continue reading through the New Testament, it's, it's impossible for anybody to inherit the kingdom of God if it's up to you. Nobody lives a righteous life. Not the rich, not the poor. If we think for just a minute, think through, I'm sure that all of you know someone who has lots of money who's a scoundrel. Aha, see, rich, bad. But you probably also know someone who has lots of money who's generous and kind and, and walks with the Lord. You probably also know someone who's poor, who's a scoundrel. You probably also know someone who's poor, who is generous and kind and walks with the Lord. <clears throat> See, money's not the issue, but we do, because we live in America, because compared to lots of places in the world, you would be classified as rich simply because of where you live, simply if we play the comparison game, which is a dangerous thing to do. Someone in this world thinks that you are wealthy. And because of that, there are dangers that we need to be aware of. Wealth can't cover up for our sin, certainly not in God's eyes and most of the people's also who are looking. And wealth also is a constant temptation to compromise who we are, God's children. The good news is, despite the fact that we all live unrighteously, Jesus said at the very end of that, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And He made that possible through the death of His Son. None of us lives righteously. All of us at some time or another are going to lie or treat people unjustly. We're going to try to court someone's favor and treat people differently because of who they are, their status, or their wealth. Pride's going to seep in. All of us are guilty before God. Whether we would classify ourselves as rich or not. And the good news is, the great news, the wonderful news, is that because of what He has done, as we sang earlier, we can rest. We can come into His presence. Oh, thank You for sending Your Son. We celebrate that this morning. As we spend time with together as a family, partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, a reminder of our forgiveness, a reminder of His gracious gift, a reminder that even though we may be wealthy physically, because of what He's done, we are also wealthy spiritually. Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not some, not a few. Every spiritual blessing He has given us. I was reminded of Psalm 84 this week. He withholds no good thing from us. We may think, well, I think there's a lot of things He's withholding from us, but then those aren't the good things. Good things are peace, and joy, 
because of His Spirit upon us. The work of His Spirit to bring us into the image of Christ and, and the hope of something better. And so we celebrate this this morning. On the night that He was betrayed, our Lord took the bread and He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples and He said, Take, eat. This is My body which was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we do this in remembrance of Him and what He's done for us and the joy and the gift.